Two Nerds and a Joke with Robert and Ernie. Thanks, Disability Hot Girl Voice. This is Two Nerds and a Joke with Robert and Ernie. I'm Ernie. Do you have a symbol now? And I'm Robert, who's loving the new symbol. It's two, two, two. there's my camera, two nerds and a joke, which is actually an interesting point. It is the number two, not the word. There is a significant difference there, and you won't find us if you use the word to, only if you use the number. But for those of you who are gloriously enough uh, following us on YouTube, which I hope you all are, of course, yeah. all 60 or 70 of you, we do yeah. have a guest with us today. Yes. Um, I'm excited. He's, he's not the joke. No, um, today's is actually kind of fun because we actually have somebody on the show who's like, I think, probably the most famous person we've ever had, Ooh. relatively speaking. I, he's up there. He's up there. He's up there. He's up there with the, we have some big nerds. We had actually the, the guy who did the novelization of The Killing Joke on. Yep. Yep. So oh. he was pretty cool. He yeah. was a cool dude. Yeah, he was pretty sweet. Um, but we have Roshan. And how do you say your last name? Is it Briscoe? Do I have that right? Yes, it is Briscoe. Uh, like County okay. Junior. Okay. Just want to make sure I had that right. And, and Roshan, you've done a lot of stuff over your career, just like in general. You've done a lot of different things. You've done theater. It looks like you did Shakespeare. Yeah, well, I mean, I started I out in theater. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I started out okay. uh, in theater. Um, I have a bachelor's in theater from Rowan University. And um, one summer I interned at the Delaware Shakespeare Festival. Um, oh, it's a professional. Fun. Yeah, it's like a professional um, company. And I, like you understudy and you play some of the smaller roles. But that year, uh, they do it um, every year in the park. Uh, we did a Midsummer Night's Dream. Ah, very um, nice. Classic. And it, I mean, it was so fun. I played the wall and mustard seed, one of the fairies. Oh, very cool. <laughs> What See, range? What range? Yeah, well, that is yeah, that is a huge range there. Um, and when you when you look up and and you came out when you first came to and you came to Hollywood what now eight ten years ago easily? Um, about maybe no maybe like six or seven twenty thirteen. Okay, 2013. Oh, so you were out. Okay, because I saw your first movie was twenty thirteen. So I didn't realize that was your first 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 one that I saw. But you had a, you had a kind of an interesting challenge is. That you look like somebody <laughs> now, now with your current style of hair and your beard going and your little salt and pepper not so much you, you have your own look now but you did at that point uh, look like somebody else so you had to come up with a unique tagline tell me about that story because it was it's, it's pretty funny i was amused okay so for some reason and i really didn't see it yeah. at first uh people seem to mistake me from uh, for Kenan Thompson, you know, the old Nickelodeon star, SNL uh, superstar, the longest cast member mm. uh, ever. And when I first moved to LA, I was on my way to a uh, job interview and I'm just walking up the street uh, in West Hollywood on Melrose. And go. this guy, he uh, sees me and he thinks that I'm Kenan. So he runs over to me. He's a huge fan. He hugs me, he scoops me up in the air, and he's like, Keenan. I'm just like, oh, 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 nah, that's not me. And then it looked like I broke his heart. Oh, I was like lying. I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm not Keenan. But then it just, it just kept happening over, over and over. It's, it's um, I actually went to a movie premiere of um, I want to say it's American Spy. Something came out like a few okay. years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, it's based on a book, right? Yeah. And um, I was actually talking to one of the writers of the movie and we was building like a, a, a great rapport. I'm like, oh man, this might yeah. be like a little, this might little be thing it. I can weave my way Ooh. into. <laughs> then uh, uh, when I gave him like my card and he saw, he read the name on the card and he realized that I wasn't oh, Keenan no. Thompson. Oh, I watched no. his face have that epiphany. And oh no. And he immediately became disinterested oh. in anything I had to offer, even though we had like this great energy and this vibe going. Oh I'm just like, well, I'm cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> you know, work for scale. Oh my God, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, you could probably get me at a third of what you would have paid him. <laughs> <laughs> and come on, you can. I, I'm. I'm. I'm the the the. the 
best you're going to get at a decent price. And I can have range because you have range. Like I've seen your stuff. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. You do. You have some great range. You have some very serious like drama ability. I saw that in some of the clips. Which do you think you're better at, though? Do you think that because of your hashtag and how you kind of presented that your comedian side is stronger? Or do you feel that your drama side is stronger? Or do you want to go outside and be kind of the... Because you've done some directing, right? Yes, yes, yes. So um, where do you feel you lie at this point, especially with everything going on, right? Um, I mean, it's so it's so weird. Um, I am good at drama. Uh, but as far as comedy goes, I don't know. I have like this... Um, energy I make people comfortable and like feel feel welcome and I used to uh, not you know pursue comedy as hard because I always like I'm a serious actor I want people to take me seriously right but it wasn't probably. until I embraced because you know laughing and joking is so ingrained in who I am mm-hmm. once I really embrace that as far as the business side is concerned that's when like more doors just started opening up for me because you know some there was times where I played roles or auditioned for roles that weren't inherently funny but because of how I am and I brought that to the role there's like oh you know I never really thought of that Mm. as being funny it just it just started opening up more lanes Hmm. and that's kind of interesting too because you can take yourself either direction but you found that being yourself was actually the best way to go yes 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 I think as far as, cause audiences are smart and yeah. people don't like fake stuff. You know, we, we recognize authenticity. So um, if you can find a way you be your most authentic self, I think that's what's gonna resonate most with uh, audiences and fans. So when you were, when you were just discussing that, you said that you went to, you got your degree in theater at, at a college in Jersey, right? Yes. Okay. And then you moved into Shakespeare. like you said the dramatic roles and everything else. And as far as comedy goes and acting, isn't it like just choices that you have to make us like, you have to look at the script and you're basically making a choice of how am I going to deliver this line? Am I going to like put my own personality in it? Like you said, like kind of make it funny in a way, or is it something like you, you're listening to the director and the director basically tells you, all right, I need you to be X, Y, and Z. How do you, how do you approach that? Um, I mean, I mean, and that's, I mean, that's part of the challenge. Uh, yeah. You know, you get some material and, you know, you're working on it and, you know, you, you're locking down like the circumstances and, you know, you're thinking of like, you know, wh- what is it that, you know, my character's going for in this scene? How am I going to get it? Uh, and then, you know, a lot of times you might come up with something and, you know, the director or the creative teams might like, you know, that was good, but you know, I see, cause ultimately you have to bring the director's vision to fruition, you know? So if he's like, you know what, we, we kind of going this way and you just kind of have to adapt, you know, on the fly. And, and that's really like the challenge, you know, it's, it's always kind of fun. Like when I'm looking at a script or if I'm like, you know, writing some stand up material, it, it's kind of like a puzzle, you know, and it's fun for me to kind of, you know, uh, uh, figure out like the moment to moment. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah I remember a story um, that um, William Shatner talk, was talking about in the early days of Star Trek, where he was just handed a script and he had to come up with his own, like, you know, getting shot with a phaser, even though like there's no phaser, right? Because all right. the special effects are done later. So he had to come up with, well, how is that going to look? Like, how would somebody act? Like, do you ever find yourself like, looking at the direction like you were saying like looking at the scene and the character kind of like kind of like that um well first of all like green screen work is <laughs> oh that's I, imagine, so I haven't i haven't had the pleasure of doing any green screen work but i imagine it being terribly difficult <laughs> you know just sitting there talking to some green dudes green backgrounds and then you have to kind of imagine and create the environment Mm-hmm. around you you know um just kind of get like the the sense memory you know of like the wind and you know if it's like an action scene you know there's going to be explosions and cars and right. things you have to like uh, a hurdle over you just have to um um you just have to commit yeah you know to the world to you know using your imagination well one of the scenes that i always found so so such a weird 
like if you take yourself out of the scene and you did this you, one of the things on your real clip shows you kind of talking to this dude in a car it was you and him in a car and you're kind of talking back and forth it's so weird to me if you take yourself out of a scene like that and you're thinking about okay how are they doing that obviously they've taken the the the, the windshield out of the car right and there's a huge or some sort of camera right there that's panning back and forth between the two of you real close up i'm assuming you know as you're talking so he's shooting to him shooting to you shooting to him getting in that moment like I'm talking to this dude. I have to ignore that huge ass camera that's like six <laughs> inches from my face. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's got to be like the first thing. I mean, when you're first starting, right? Because again, it's been six years, so you're still kind of new. That's got to be so hard to get over and get past that huge camera. And you're here. You're you you want, as you said, real. It's real. You right, know? Well, <laughs> I think I think I think me having a background in theater first. Mm helped with that because you okay. know the theater the audience is always there right you, know, you hear them you know they react to things but there's always that imaginary fourth wall uh, between right. you and the audience that um you normally don't break but in some creative you know circumstances you might break and they do it in film and tv too i know on um, saved by the bell was notorious for breaking the fourth wall but right. um just you know coming from the theater and having that fourth wall training, you know, kind of help facilitate. Cause when you're on like a huge set, there's so much going on, you know, oh, yeah. it might be like 50 people just in your immediate area. You know, you got the gaffers, you got the grips, you know, the DP, all the PAs, all everybody standing around looking at you and you just have to, um, um, I think the most dynamic acting happens when you stay focused on whoever you're in the scene with and just being in that moment, right. uh, just being present. Yeah, because the challenge I always felt was that the, the the script reading. Like for me, I have a horrible memory. I mean, and Ernie, you can attest to this. I can't remember Jack. That's why he's my <laughs> facts and figures guys. He always has the comes with facts and figures. I can't remember Jack. Half the stuff I say is wrong. It just it just is. I don't remember it right. It's got to be like coming coming from theater. You've you've already kind of had that experience, right, of memorizing lines. Is it easier uh. in movies? And show oh. and TV shows, dude, than it is in theater uh, because you know, no, no, it's not Definitely any easier. <laughs> Definitely not. So this is the thing when when you're doing theater, um, pretty much all the plays, it happens chronologically, mm -hmm. or whatever. So you know, you learn it. Plus, you have like a three month, two month rehearsal period. Sure. You know, so you're learning over time. Television, by far, is the most grisly of grinds. Still, like on a film. Uh, they might shoot three pages, four pages a day, maybe um, over like a 45 day period for like, you know, most like regular movies that aren't super big tent poles. Mm -hmm. um, we talking about like 120 page script or whatever. Mm -hmm. Television, say like for an hour drama, you know, you might have like a 50 page script, but you have to, um, they have to film it, uh, edit it and do all the processes in like seven, eight days. You know, so you, you don't have that time. And sometimes, you know, you'll get a scene. Okay, these are the scenes that you're doing tomorrow. Uh, you might have like three, four pages, a uh, big monologue. Mm. You show up on set, they had rewrites over that night. So now mm. you're on set trying to learn new material. It's just, it's, it's not for the faint of heart. So I, um, one of the credits I noticed uh, when I was looking on your IMDb was that you did some camera work also. Uh, are you, you've done, you done your own filming? Um, yeah, uh, mostly like uh, uh, in college and some stuff um, out here when I got in LA because I mean, we all have the tools now. It wasn't like it was like back in the nineties stuff. We have the tools now to be creating your own content. And mm -hmm. if you're not, especially if you're not auditioning, if you're not, you know, you have like a lull in your bookings, then you should be creating your own content, um, mm -hmm. practicing your craft uh, and just, you know, putting yourself out there. So when, when uh, I remember listening to a discussion a while back between some people that were in the business and they, they always talk about like, oh, this guy always knows how to frame a shot. For instance, they were talking about Zack Snyder. He's like mm -hmm. the best at like framing shots. Do you ever like look at other people in Hollywood and say, you know what, that is something new I've never seen before. I like that. Who, who comes to mind? 
That's such a difficult question. Um, <laughs> He's got people impressed. Don't put him on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, no, because I'm not. I mean, I mean, I've I've directed like two short films. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's not really my lane, but um, I have done it. I like um, man, I like a, a lot of auteur directors. You know, uh, people who are if you took a, a scene out of their movie, you automatically Quentin Tarantino. He's ah, all right. You know, or Spike yeah. Lee, you okay. know, he's famous for like the dolly shots. Yeah. Like, you know, they just have like that aesthetic, that feel, you know, that it's is there. them. You it's know, there. you could be flipping the channels uh, and you see a Scorsese film, you know, that's mm-hmm. Scorsese. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, and you said Zach, you, you talked about Zack Snyder earlier. He's very much an auteur, you know, director as well too. He has a very specific look and feel and energy to the things that he does. Right. And, and it seems like a lot of the, like, you know, the big heavyweights do have their own, like, little, like, thing that they, they that they put in all their films. You know, like, J.J. always does, like, the red flares. The lens flares, yeah. Flares and stuff like that, so. Yeah, okay. Um, I gotta say, though, I don't need to see flashes of light in my film to make the film more dramatic. Okay, I don't, I don't need extra light. I mean, hell, I have enough trouble lighting here, okay, in my little corner. I'm not going to have lens flares to make me feel cooler. It I, is a cool effect, I, I, but it's like, really? How about, how about the guy who shot um, Close Encounters of the Third Kind? I think his name mm-hmm. was Milos or something like that. Like, that's a beautifully shot film. Oh, Milos Schwarman? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Yeah, beautifully yeah. shot film. Um, but when you talk about like more Artur, like Q, I call him Q because we're like this, you know? No, <laughs> best friends. It's amazing. <laughs> Uh, you know, Q, uh, you know, Quentin Tarantino, Spike Lee, um, Martin Scorsese. I think Martin Scorsese. Christopher Nolan. Oh, Chris Nolan. Wow. Mm-hmm. He definitely has his own thing. Like, ever since Inception, yeah, he definitely yeah. rewrote everything, I thought. Right, right. Yeah. But, you know, you know, pro- probably um, the most impressive thing that I can remember, and this came out a while ago, and I remember after, um, I can't even remember the director's name, but after they did this, everybody else was trying to copy it. But you remember the um, the kind of like uh, in the Matrix, the, oh. the with the bullets. And oh, the, bullet yes, time. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and how, you know, she would jump in the air and then the Threes. camera would rotate yeah. around. Yeah. You know? That and, was you know, huge. Yeah. So, you know, originally they wanted Will Smith for to play Neo in the Matrix. Did you know that? No. Well, yeah, they, they wanted they wanted Will Smith. And Will Smith actually, when he started doing social media, he talked about it too. Because um, hmm. he was like, it's one of the worst pitches he ever heard. He didn't, like, <laughs> he couldn't see what they yeah. were trying to explain because nobody had done it. And right. I, and he was just like, yeah, this is stupid. But um, he also said he was glad he wasn't cast in it because hmm. he don't think he would have done done in any justice it wouldn't have been mm. that you can't see nobody else but keanu in the major yeah. Yeah. yeah well and to be fair at that point in will smith's career he isn't he wasn't as an actor where he is today true true you know i mean he just wasn't he was funny he was well, a great if, actor if we think about the matrix time time frame that first one was what 90s right 99 yeah i think i'm like that yeah. I think he did Wild Wild West, and before that, he did. No, he did Wild Wild West after. Like right. that's the role he did after he passed on the Matrix. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. See, that's my. That's what I'm okay. saying. He he wasn't ready for it. And Wild Wild West, while it was an action and he was a, a hero, it was still heavy comedy. I mean, let's not fool ourselves. I mean, Men in Black. Was, I mean, well, yeah, Men in Black. Come on, it was well, good uh, action. But it was well, earlier in the show, he did he did six degrees of separation too, which is mm-hmm. that's true. You no, know? but yeah. it, it's just, it's just something about it's just something about like when you get older, just that life experience you have, you just start doing your better work, best work. Mm-hmm. So like in the beginning of like Matthew McConaughey's career, you know, he very much was considered like you know just like a little pretty boy mm-hmm. thing like that but right, all right, all right. he's still the, kind of the pretty boy let's not fool ourselves Come yeah on. but in the latter <laughs> part of his career like he's doing like the types of roles he's doing now opposed to like when he first started he's been oh, doing yeah. outstanding work yeah oh yeah no absolutely the last one i saw him in that really like i was really shook after watching was dallas buyers club right right yes really yeah that and i thought he was great in lincoln lawyer yeah mm. 
Yeah, he was real edgy in that one. Now you were talking about like you preferring drama, and this was something I heard from other. But no, I prefer I prefer comedies. Oh, you prefer comedies? Comedy. Ernie, get it, get it right. Come on. This is something I've heard from like other comedians who like kind of dabble back and forth in drama. They are saying that comedy's always going to be harder because uh, laughter spontaneous, right? Yes. So being able to pull that, like you can have the written down the best set you've ever done. You go out there and deliver it, and nothing happens. Oh, it's uh, it's, it's so funny because um probably about a year before coronavirus. I started doing stand-up and um, people have been trying to push me to do stand-up for years. And I always like reserve myself, excuse me. Uh, saying, I'm like, you know what? I know I'm funny, but that's not my type of funny. I don't, I'm not sure if I could do that. And pull, it, pull off an actual routine, like, you know, a, a set, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like writing jokes down and delivering them. Um, you know, I used to, uh, at the time I was like, I was doing some improv, I performed on like a sketch team. I was doing mm. um, those kind of things. So I was still very much a comedian, but um, it wasn't until like a, like a few years ago, um, I had got sick and I took like a break from acting. Right. And um, I was just sitting around, but I wasn't being creative and that really bothered me. And um, I remember this was um, when Joe Coy's special, um, Netflix special, Coming In Hot had mm. came out. And I had put it on I'm, in the background. Yeah. Cause I had never heard of Joe Coy. I was like, who's, who's Joe Coy? It was just on like my Netflix, you know, suggested. Watch so I'm yeah, on the background it. and I'm working on some other stuff. And he does this bit about like a hula dancer. And I remember it being like so funny. And I had to stop. I was like, who is, who is that? I was like, hold on, <laughs> this is funny. I need, I need, I need this from the top. Yeah. And it was watching that special. I was like, you know what? Okay. Like I'm gonna try like stand up. And I, I man, I just completely fell in love with it but you know when i started going to like open open mics and doing shows it's you never know how something is going to land and and open mics sometimes it's hard to kind of judge the material because comedians won't laugh at comedians even if they think something's hilarious they'd be like huh that's funny yeah but they won't laugh <laughs> so you're not getting that feedback right and i remember uh, like the first set that I was working on when I did it from when I, after I got finished workshopping it at the open mics and I did it in front of like a live, like paying audience who, you know, came to see a comedy show. And it almost threw off my timing because they laughed in places. I wasn't expecting them to laugh. <laughs> right. Because you're workshopping it in the wrong, you're, you're workshopping <laughs> it in the only environment you can get into, but it's right. not the right audience. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, real, yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and and open mics are hard because, you know, half the comedians they're going over their sets in their head, they're thinking about it, you know, they're doing other things, mm -hmm. they're they're thinking about other things except for sitting there listening to you, right? You know? So you can go to like an open mic, grab everybody's attention, and be having them laughing out loud, mm -hmm. you know, what you got right there is gold. When you go to like a live audience, yeah, definitely. Well, see, like, see Ernie, gonna, we need to do that. I, I was gonna, I was gonna drop some names of some places. May, maybe thinking um, the Laugh Factory, the yeah. you know, yeah. store, the shop. I think they call it. Is it the Comedy Store? The Comedy Store, yeah, the, the store. store. Yeah, um, so much history. I was mm -hmm. gonna say, like everyone who was anybody, like made their start there, and you hear the stories of like the sets, like they would still have them, like written down on like little legal pads like you have right napkins jerry sand jerry seinfeld Eddie yeah. Murphy, all in like one night right and it's like how did this happen right and you were and i guess you got kind of a glimpse of that is it really that tight-knit like the the comedians in in all in la um i mean the comedians i mean it's it's this is kind of like the mecca for like uh uh stand up well in comedy in general um mm -hmm. I would probably say the makeup for stand-up stand -up is probably still more New York because, right. you know, in New York, when you're workshopping, so like if I'm workshopping something, I could, in one night, I could probably perform the same set at three or four different places because mm. of how the city is, um, right. how everything's set up. It's near impossible to do that here in LA. Yeah, because it's so far apart, right? I mean, just physically. Yeah, I mean, everything's so spread out. 
Plus, um, you know, there's things to do in New York until six, seven o'clock in the morning. Sure. You don't have to. I mean, you know, you can't serve alcohol past two o'clock here. Once you can't serve alcohol no more. Nobody's nobody's staying out. (laughs) Everybody's going home. The fun's gone, you know. (laughs) So, but I mean, no, there is like a, you know, a huge community, um, even though they're like having some like problems now. Um, Yeah, because all the places are still locked down, right? Right, right, right. I was going to say um, UCB has like a huge community, Groundlings has like a huge um, community. And even like, you know, um, you know, you kind of find your tribe when you don't like stand up and, you know, you'll see like, um, if you're like on the scene, you'll start to see same, same faces over and over. It's like, oh, oh, you know, I saw you over here at this mic and, you know, right. over here at that mic. And, yeah, yeah, and as you start to like work up and be able to do sets, I mean, cause like doing an open mic at the Laugh Factory, the comedy store, the improv, man, it's- <laughs> what, What's that like? Is it is it like they showed on TV where it's like nerve wracking? Like- you Well, I haven't, well, I haven't done any sets there. Well, cause because they're so big and those are like the places, you know what I mean? Like those are like the right. meccas right. of doing places. It's hard to get up because they'll do a lottery system. Most, there's a lot of places that do like a lottery system. Ah. And like the Laugh Factor, the Improv, Comedy Store, they have a lottery system. So one, if signups like at five, you better get there like three, two, maybe Easily. even earlier that. Sure. Excuse me. They're going to take like the first 100 people or whatever, just to sign up on the list. But maybe only 20 people are going to perform. So wow. you got to hope that your name is drawn. So you might get on the list, but then you're waiting around five, six hours mm. praying that your name is called. And if your name is called to do your three minutes, your stuff better be tight. Oh, damn. Because, you know, they're going to be like watching, you know, I feel like sometimes um, I feel like sometimes as artists, maybe even as like a culture, as a as a country, we've become obsessed with like immediacy. We want something immediately. Right. We've kind of lost our patience and that doesn't give us the opportunity to develop and grow like we should. You don't learn the lessons you're supposed to learn because you're so busy trying to get to the head of the line. Um, There's a quote that I love. It was like you can't take the elevator to uh you can't take the elevator to the top for success. You have to take the stairs. <laughs> the work, yeah. the work for it. Yeah, yeah. Got to do a little. Got to do a little work. So I heard on the other side of the coin of your professional life, on the other side of that, you you have a little bit of a hidden nerd inside you, because <laughs> that is that is it is our show. It is what we do here. Is we we reveal the inner nerds of all of our folks we have come on the secret things they do that aren't have anything to do with their real jobs just like us um and and what is yours what you know makes you smile like that's my thing that's my jam right there what what does that for you on the nerd side probably um naruto uh the anime naruto and video games oh gamer yeah i'm actually starting to dabble into um doing video game content so Ooh, that is a growing field. Now I got to start on the on, on the narrow side because I have seen clips, I've seen bits, I've seen a couple episodes. I know the characters because everybody at any con ever, ninety percent of them go as one of the characters. I've seen them. Couldn't name them on you know on a shelf, but I know they're there. And on top of that, I've seen so many tiktok and youtube and just people acting out the scenes and pretending their characters from the show and it's just huge it's huge and it's been going forever so what what drew you to it was one of those peer pressure things or just a true you just oh look at that that's interesting you just kind of got you fell into the the lake of naruto there um well um well when i was younger um i used to do martial arts um Mm -hmm. Uh, I think before I like had stop, I got like a brown belt in Tung oh, nice. which is what, like what a, kind? Tung Sudo is like a Korean martial arts, okay, similar to Taekwondo. Mm-hmm. Okay. And um, so like I've always been drawn to like martial arts type thing. And Naruto is about ninjas, and who like who doesn't love ninjas? Sure, yeah, of course. <laughs> you know, and um, I mean it's basically about like these ninja society. But what 
what really drew me to Naruto, like the title character, when he first started out in like the very first episode, he's like a knucklehead um, <laughs> because he kind of like had like a rough upbringing that you know, like he grew up hard. Right. Um, everybody, he was actually shunned by his village because he was something called a Jinchuriki, which um, in the Naruto world, they have these um, uh, nine tailed beasts, which are like uh, these huge like beasts with immense power. Mm -hmm. And um, if a village is able to capture one, what they do is seal it inside somebody and they kind of use it as like a weapon, as a deterrent. Like, don't mess with us. You know, we have a tail we, beast. We got a weapon. It's like, it's like a nuclear weapon in the middle of your town. It's like, we got one of these, leave us alone. Right, so uh, as a result, a lot of Jinchurikis are kind of like shunned, like, ah. And he, so he was ostracized as a kid. So he would act out to try to, you know, like recognize me, you know, because he, he's a child. Um, and in the beginning, he was like the worst. He couldn't do like the most basic jutsu clone <laughs> transformations. But as you watch over time during the show, he goes from being the worst to being the greatest ninja of his generation. And he did it all by sheer will and hard work. And I think that's dope. And I think that's why he has such a huge following too. I think that's part of it is that, you know, he doesn't have a magic wand or a magic weapon. He is a weapon, you know, he's a living weapon in that sense, but everything he does is because he put actual work in. Right, he came across it of his own volition. It's because he wanted it. So. Now, just to size up that, one of the other things that I noticed, like you had some in your background before you got into acting, you also served in the army. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Tell, can you tell us a little bit about that? Um, well, I mean, my time in the military, um, I wouldn't trade it for anything uh, in the world. Uh, the best thing, in my opinion, about the military is the people that you get to meet over the years. I did two deployments overseas. Um, one in Iraq, one in Kuwait. It, it's so funny. Um, so like in high school, I was like one of those kids, I didn't really like school. Mm -hmm. And um, I usually just got grades good enough to be eligible to play sports. As long as I was eligible, I just sure. did enough to do that. <clears throat> and used to drive like my teachers and my grandmother crazy because it's like, you're smarter than that. Because <laughs> I, I figured out if I ace all my tests, I didn't have to do any homework and I can kind of pick and choose what kind of classwork to do. As long as I ace all my tests, <laughs> it'll kind of balance out. Right. And that used to drive some of my teachers mad because they was like, clearly you can do the work. But it wasn't until, because um, when I, the first time I went overseas to Iraq, um, I think I was like 19. Oh, wow. You know, yeah, I was just a babe. I was a pup. Mm. And, you know, seeing there was still like a lot of destruction in Iraq. Mm -hmm. from like the first Gulf War. Yeah. And I remember one of the things that kind of stuck out to me the most is um, we were kind of like in between like these two like towns and like, it was like maybe like the distance, maybe like 20 miles or so, but like 20 miles or so apart, but like dead smack in the middle, it was like all this nothingness and like desert, it's like 120 degrees. And there was these kids just playing, just like out and open, like in nowhere. And I remember driving by and we were looking, it was like, where are the adults? Yeah. You know? yeah. There were like some kids who were like barefoot. And I was just like, that was the first time, like, cause you see people on TV who like live in like right. really impoverished uh, situations, but you're kind of disconnected. But to see it like up close and up front, I was just like, man, I have like all this opportunity mm. and I'm squandering it. Yeah. So well, it, it's really sad, too, because there is a lot of poverty in, the, in, in America as well, of course, you know, not to get too serious here. But when you go and you're able to see the world, if you will, and you're able to see what it really could be, how bad it really could get, and you're able to come back and have opportunities. I mean, you got to feel some kind of way that you want to, you know, do something. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, so, I mean, you know, like it. it <laughs> That was like the kick that I needed. So yeah, well, that's good because um, Ernie Ernie is 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 a a brat of his own type. He he traveled the world as as part of the military, um, of his own right. Air so. Force. We we came from the army, so every uh, every year I root for Army to beat Navy. <laughs> <laughs> Max, you said you said you was in the Air Force. Air Force. 
Okay, yeah. Um, I grew up in Dover, Delaware. So oh. Dover, uh, Dover Air Force Base was literally around the corner from my house. Oh, so you saw the big planes. You saw the bombers. Yeah, 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 yeah. But the, the, the one thing I tease Ernie about is he always carries a quarter with him just in case. Oh, my gosh. There's you a play that needs to be taken apart. The challenge coin? <laughs> On a McDonnell Douglas F-15, you can remove all the rivets with the quarter. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. That's that's my joke. Cause he, yeah, he always has a quarter on him just in case there's a jet that needs to be taken apart or put back <laughs> together. You know, you see a pilot on the middle of the desert in Iraq, and you're like, I've got a quarter. I got I'm this right here. <laughs> Air Force Base, home of the Nomads, the 33rd Tactical Fighter Wing. They went over in the first Gulf War, uh, and they lit up the sky. You know, took down all the MIGs. They had the T-shirts, largest MIG parts distributor in the world. You know, right. I can't find my shirt anymore, but. Um, you know, I, I, used to hate, I used to hate on the Air Force. I remember being overseas in Iraq and. Um, <laughs> go on, go on. So, the, the fly boys, so, you know. Like, like when I first went there, they would have like, because it's the desert, they want you to stay hydrated. There'd be these huge pallets of water, like one liter bottles of water. You know, you just take one and drink it. But a lot of times, you know, like the water is like hot. Oh, yeah. It's a challenge, you know, getting ice and stuff to make the water cold. So, right. um. Uh, the unit I was in at the time was an intelligence unit. So we, I got like certain perks and stuff too. But um, the major that I was with, he had to do some business with somebody in the Air Force and he brought me with him. So I went there, right? And then the first thing I noticed about the building they were in was that it was air conditioned. <laughs> you gotta have air, you know? Oh. You have air. And then <laughs> I noticed, and I, I see these things in the distance. I'm like, what are those? And then it hits me. Those are deep freezers or whatever. <laughs> and I go over to like one of them and I look it up and it's just like a pile of steaks. I'm like, yo, this is some bullshit right here. I open up another one and it's water bottles, but the water is frozen. It's not even water. It's ice. <laughs> I'm like, yo. And then uh, one of the Air, Air Force on he's like, yo, you want some? <laughs> of course. <laughs> you know, so I'm taking like all these bottles and it's so funny, right? So I'm trying to hide the bottles. I get back to like um uh our side. Like with some you, you of my Air buddies. Force guys are a little spoiled. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like with some of my buddies and I'm trying to like hide the frozen water that I have. And one of my friends is like, hey Brisk, like what's that you got? I was like, what you talking about? I, was, I don't have anything. And he's like, no, nah, you got something. Then I dropped one of them. And because it's ice, it's like ting, ting, ting. He's like, oh, hell no. <laughs> he's like, you got to shut. He's like, that's not even taking care of your battle right there. He's like, that's not that's not the army way. We a team. Oh. So, oh. I mean, it's good times, though. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like you said, you always meet, like, the people uh, you'll never forget from, from those times, man. You'll never forget the people you come across and the things that you see, it stays with you. And, and like uh, like coming back here stateside after being in, in Europe for like four years. Um, yeah, you take, you, you realize, man, I really, really like <laughs> need to straighten up here and, you yeah. know, and appreciate what I got. Right, right. We grow into ourselves. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So you only did the you only did the one tour uh, the two two deployments and one tour and you were out. Yeah, well, I mean, um, I was in for like ten years. Okay. Um, um I spent most of the time uh, in the reserves. I did the two deployments. Um, I did a lot of temporary duty, uh, different places, Fort McCoy, in Wisconsin, um, Fort Lewis McCord, in Washington State, Fort Dix in New Jersey different places did, did you ever like now i'm kind of guilty of this when i see like military stuff on tv and, <laughs> you, know, you see the guys come up with the big fruit salad on their on their uniform oh, yeah. you're like yeah none of that makes sense yeah oh definitely definitely uh uh one of the things that gets me is like the beret i'm like the debris always jacked up i'm like that's not how we wear the beret yeah. <laughs> you know you're in trouble if you wear your beret that way. It's like, what right. are you doing? You have John Claude Van Damme wearing it wrong. You got... uh, I'm like, you I'm like, y'all ain't shave it down or nothing. <laughs> like, like who's who's your technical supervisor? Because you know, like um 
I mean, there's a lot of like military personnel now too who are getting into the industry, who are serving as tech supervisors on, you know, shows like SEAL Team Six, mm -hmm. uh, the SEALs, I think it was like on CBS mm -hmm. and, you know, like a whole bunch of, you know, other shows to bring that like extra uh, layer of authenticity. One of the other things, it was an episode of- um, Reality, if you will. <laughs> yeah, there was, I think it was an episode of a TV show called The Brave. No, 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 it was still SEALs on okay. CBS. And um, one thing, like when there's like a NBC attack, that's like a, a nuclear, biological or chemical attack, uh, you know, you wear your gas mask. But what a lot of people also don't know is they have something <laughs> called a mop suit, stands for a military oriented protective posture. Because a lot of people don't know, it's not just about breathing it in. If you get like VX or whatever, mustard gas or whatever mm -hmm. on your skin, yeah. it's oh, yeah. still yeah. going to kill you. So yeah. you, you have like a whole suit, rubber boots and gloves for that. So, you know, um, I forget the actor's name, but the main star, you know, they had like a whole scene where they have to like put on uh, the, the gas mask, but they don't put on like the mop suit and stuff. But you know, they're not gonna have their main star wearing a gas mask the whole episode. No, you gotta of course be not. able to see his face, you sure. know? So there's certain <laughs> concessions you have to make, you know, for, you know, the sake of like the show. Right, but still it's kind of like, come on guys. I'm like, yeah, I'm like dead, dead. <laughs> yeah, my uh, my father was uh, he served in the military. He was in for 29 years. He was a he was a senior master sergeant in the Air Force. And I remember he would come back from TDY, which is just temporary assignments. And he would come back and he would always bring his his suit, right? And I'd always like put it on and everything. And my dad would be like, "Wait till you're older and you have to run around in the heat in that, and you won't want to put that thing on." Oh, like the the jumpsuit. Yeah, yeah, like literally, like everything's all in case. Like I said, Dad, can I borrow it for like Halloween one year? Let me tell you, I was so miserable after like thirty minutes of walking around in that thing. I was like, Yo. Oh man, yes. yo, so so imagine, so like um, you know, like the up armor Humvees, or oh, whatever, yeah. you know, like the windows in those things, they don't roll down because then you know that would be like defeating the whole purpose. Our purpose, yeah. They're like <laughs> like really thick too. Like they're completely yeah, almost, yeah, yeah. The doors are like. The doors are like a hundred yeah. pounds, super. Yeah, because you know it's made to like withstand a blast from like an IED. Right. You know, you know how hot and stuffy it gets in those things. Uh, what you mean? There's no air conditioning in your 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 military grade Humvees? What the heck, man? No, it's like I mean there is, but it, it, it's not cold. Yeah, it's no, just like it's circulating hot air. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's 120 degrees out there. You're not going to get anything better than this. <laughs> Yeah, it's, like, it's like everybody in the, in the in the car is just going this. Yeah, <laughs> it's an air fryer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and you're and you're wearing all your battle gear too and everything. Oh so. yeah, oh yeah. You know you got you got your IBA, your plates and stuff. And, and it's, it's <laughs> it sounds like a lot of fun. No, but uh, I share I share the same thing. Like some like that's the one thing. Like I can't watch some. Like I have a problem watching some war movies, like uh, Saving Private Ryan, Flags of Our Fathers. That that um, that stuff kind of bothers me. Like it's a little too, like a little too close. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, do you see like more of those epics coming our way? Because they kind of died away for a little bit, right? Like we haven't seen something like that in probably what? I think the last one was Hacksaw Ridge. Yeah, maybe or Fury too, I think, with the tanks. Yeah, 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 with Brad Pitt and Shia LaBeouf, which I thought acted brilliantly in that movie, but. Yeah, yeah. Wait, you know, wait, I mean, you mean Shia LaBeouf a compliment? What, wait, 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 wait. Shia LaBeouf is getting compliment. You, we don't give him compliments. Fury what? is the exception. If you give him a compliment, do it. it. <laughs> <laughs> the best movie he was in was Constantine because he died, okay? Oh, no, okay. Shia died at the end. No, no, hold on, hold on. We're gonna have we're gonna have to walk that back a little bit. The best movie <laughs> he was in was Holes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Touche, sir. Holes. Yes. Not play no games. Yes. Yes. Shia LaBeouf. Was a Nickelodeon movie, wasn't that? Um, I don't know. It's for children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Was Sigourney Weaver? Sigourney Weaver was in that movie. <laughs> Yeah. From aliens to holes, how can you go wrong? I mean, Eating why not? Them, um, peach flavored <laughs> onions. <laughs>
I love peaches though. Oh, oh that's hilarious. That is that was a good one too. But <laughs> oh man. So you've gotten such a wide variety of things that you've gotten on your did you been able to you've done the karate, you've done the the army, you've you've done the movies, you've done the directing, you've written some stuff, you're a Naruto fan Naruto and you have all these big things going on in your life. Obviously, Corona's kind of put a bunch of stuff on hold, but what, what do you see that you want to do next? What, when things get back to the new norm, whatever that looks like, what, what do you really like? Okay, we're back to it. We're full steam ahead. What's next for you? What do you yeah, really I mean, want to do? I mean, because what I really want to do, um, yeah. I want to have like my own sitcom, but like the multi-camera, like how he has to have in the 90s. And they started to kind of make like a little bit of resurgence. Okay. Um, you know, you got like... Yes. Uh, the neighborhood on CBS. Um, mm-hmm. There was like the Carmichael show like a few years ago. Uh, Cause you know, we kind of like went away from like the multi-camera mm-hmm. uh, comedies to like the single camera. But um, cause I feel like the multi-camera like sitcom is kind of like the best of both worlds. It's film, but then it's also kind of like the theater aspect because you have like the live audience that's there and you'd be able to connect with them. I always kind of saw myself it's like doing a show and then going out into the audience after the show, meeting the people, thanking them for coming out and supporting and things like that. Uh, I would I would love to have a show that I wrote, I wrote and produce and you know do that for a few seasons. I, I think so. Would you, so would you want to star in it as well, or would you want to? Oh, sit yeah, a- absolutely. So you're gonna write, direct, produce, and act and star in your show. Yeah. Well, I, I, I have to commend you on that. I think that's the best way, right? To deliver your vision and your, in like your style and everything, kind of like the way Roseanne did in the 80s. Right. Uh, you know, you had um, Larry David and Jerry Seinfeld in the 90s. Then you had like friends in the 2000s, kind of like we're doing this our way, right? Right, right. We don't have the, that kind of control. So for you, right. like that's, that's your goal. Would you want now, because the new media is out there, like you have Netflix as a player now and you have, you know, Amazon and all these mm-hmm. other ones. Would you be like, would you be just as ha- uh, content if you got one of those deals or? Um, you know, I think, I think I would almost like prefer to do like uh, a Netflix or HBO or um, like a Hulu, mainly mm. because like, if it's like a, or, or, or maybe like a, a cable network, because, you know, if you're like on one of like, um, the networks, you know, you're beholden to, you know, uh, like regulations. Right. Um, it's a lot ad- stricter. Advertisers. Right. You know, like, you know, if you have something controversial, if you talk, if you try to tackle something that's controversial in your show um, for like the yep. greater good and right. um, mom group decides they don't like that and start complaining and then right. have advertisers pull out then the network's probably gonna, you know, cause that's how they make their main revenue, selling right. ad space on the networks. Right. right. Yeah, so, so these days, if you really have something, you 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 really see a vision of it being X, Y, Z way, right. streaming services are, are the thing. So do you have that written? Is that like your pocket project that you have that sitcom already kind of planned out as to what you want? Um, I, have like, you want to... I have like outlines uh, of stuff. I mean, I have, uh, I mean, uh, I have outlines, you know, of like some like movies and stuff. You know, I, I would really like to kind of have like a company, like a like a Kevin Hart. Okay. Mm. You no, know, like his like I admire his like hustle. Um, yeah, so, he's done some seriously good stuff for himself. He has a real nice tight organization going for himself. You know what I mean? Like, like he's doing like satellite radio, yeah. uh, movies, TV. He's doing digital content. Yeah, uh, in the mobile space. Yeah. I mean, you got to have a team for that and you've got to have, you know, six months of stuff planned out kind of thing because you got to think about all the different platforms, but you got the right team in place. You can just, you can be just as relevant, if not more relevant doing that kind of stuff. I mean, hell, you mentioned earlier, Will Smith's getting into that social media space now. Why? Yeah, it's, it's so cool. He is so good. I know. Like, like when he like stuff, discovered but... like YouTube and uh, it's, it's almost like he didn't know it existed. Yeah, and then you just discovered it one day. It was like this is fun. Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, his TikTok stuff is hilarious. I mean, it's great, too, because he's like, yeah. I'm going to do the, the shots that everybody's doing, you know, crazy shot. And then I'm going to show you how I do it from behind the scenes. It's great. Yeah, my, my favorite one was um when um he got Dave Chappelle to help him, and he, then he did stand up for, like, the first time. Uh, yeah. That was a good episode. And, and Dave, it was funny because Dave was telling me, he's like, you're Will Smith. This is going to go great for you. <laughs> like, <laughs> because you're Will Smith. You know what I mean? <laughs> And he's got he's got a great com- comedy chops too. It's not like he doesn't know how to do it, you know. He just kind of right, falls right. into any role. Right. And, he's and, great. And, and, Dave, and Dave Chappelle probably wrote his set, and he probably oh. just never, and he probably memorized it. And because he's Will Smith, and everybody oh. already loves him. Yeah, it's very hard to go wrong. And Dave Chappelle is another genius. Oh, I mean, he, he he's so. You ever Dave Chappelle's like one of those, like, I feel like every so often whether it's like a sport um like a painter a musician or something somebody like they just come like their mind's so different mm-hmm. and it's like how do you think of this stuff oh that that last that special about him moving out to ohio and sitting out there i the way he painted that whole scene i could see it in my mm-hmm. mind like right. the guy walking in the front of his yard with a shotgun on his shoulder, and he's like, "What do I do? I'm waving." <laughs> yeah, it's it's the, the thing. I think the thing that's most special about Dave Chappelle is his extraordinary ability to tell a story. Yeah, even if he's yeah. like he's able to go on stage and command your attention thirty minutes an hour and not tell one joke. Yeah, and you're like sucked into it. You want yeah. to listen to him. Yeah, and it's great too because he seems like just a great. He's such a great person outside of that, you know, and he right. seems very socially aware of the world around him. Yeah, he seems know? very genuine. Like yeah. the fame didn't really change that much about him. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, he still he lives on a farm in Ohio. Yeah, it's and crazy. he's Chappelle. Yeah, the I'm biggest, not gonna. I'm, he just got the Kennedy Center Award for being one of the greatest comedians ever. Yeah. True. Yeah. You know, I saw recently. Speaking of under underappreciated comic artists, um, John Leguizamo did a special. Yeah, you talking about the, the one man show? Yeah, the, it was like the history of uh, Latinos or something yes. like that. Yes. Oh. Yeah, I was blown away by that. I mean, the chalkboard alone, me being Hispanic, when he did that thing on the chalkboard, and here's <laughs> yo, done. I was done. <laughs> but he and then, and, and, again. He's such a storyteller, you know. Yeah. Right. There, there's always in like, like, like he. I mean, he's a fantastic. I mean, actor as well. I mean, there's, there's, there. I mean, there's so many actors who technically aren't like star stars. They're not like huge, big, like superstars that are like so, like good. You know, like the Delroy Lindos. Mm-hmm. You know, like sometimes you don't even you know, know their name, but you like, you see yeah. them in everything. Everything. Yeah. They're the character before, actors. Before his passing, Chadwick Boseman, right? Right. Oh my God. You know, yeah. he was in a lot of things. People remember him for Black Panther. I get it. Right. Yeah. He was in a lot of other things that he was just, he stole yeah. the scene. Yeah. I mean, yeah. He, I mean, I mean, he was like on the verge of playing like every major Black historical person ever. <laughs> you <laughs> know, as well as Jackie way. Robinson. Yeah. Um, Jackie Robinson. Uh, uh, James Brown. Mm-hmm. Thurgood good Marshall. Yeah. <laughs> He's everybody. Yeah. yeah. Hey, good for him. You know, historical roles are such a weird thing to get into. You know, it's like, I'm going to play historical roles of this culture or this group or whatever it is. Right. And you're like, you've got to have a certain gravitas to your, to your ability right. to I mean, be able to I mean, do that. I mean, especially to like play like a, a real life person who like mm-hmm. lived and breathe. I mean, that's such a heavy, heavy responsibility. I know um, there's a TV show coming out. I think it's about um, has something to do with like Aretha Franklin and something other stuff. Oh yeah, um, mm-hmm. Davis, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. And yeah. um, um, my homie, uh, he actually did a few episodes that he played Martin Luther King. No. Wow. Yeah. Jeez. Wow. That's got to like, ee, okay, deep breath, dude, because that's that's a role. That's a role. Yeah. But no, but he 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 done he got that role. Um, I mean, he, he auditioned for it and stuff, but he had played uh, Martin Luther King on the stage because he had did that. Somebody saw it, you know. He kind of got. Uh, he has some credit. Yeah, yeah, doing that 
kind of helped bring that to fruition for him. So right. I mean, I'm cool. so excited for him. I can't wait to watch it whenever it comes out. So that, yeah. that brings another question to my mind. Do you now being an actor, actors have different styles. Are you more of the method actor where you have to like, like totally exhaust yourself into it? Um, no, I mean, there's, I mean, there's so many, like, uh, uh, I kind of stay away from the method stuff personally. Okay. Um, it's a hard road to go. I mean, it, it's really hard. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of people don't, a lot of people don't understand like the method entirely. Um, Cause you know, the method is uh, uh, based on the teaching of Lee Strasberg, which is based on the teachings of Konstantin Stanislavski, who was the father of modern theater. Um, mm. he, he, he's what he's the person who brought realism to like theater and the mm. Moscow Art Theater went on a tour that happened to stop in New York and the people um, in the group theater saw and was like what kind of acting is that and then they you know they started doing that but um Lee Strasberg kind of taught techniques that Stanislavski himself abandoned and the big thing that a lot of people don't like is the technique called effective memory, recalling past events to mm. bring up emotion uh, in you. And I kind of feel like that's not, for me personally, that's not healthy to yeah. kind of like relive trauma. And some people have problems. I read in a book how one actress, um, she used to do that and she had did like the effective memory and for like a heavy dramatic scene, she was crying and everything like that because um, she had used something that kind of happened like a year or two prior. Like I, she had like a boyfriend who tragically died. Well, mm. the thing about recounting personal experiences. So later in the day, she had a scene where she was supposed to be the happiest in her life, but she was still carrying that tragedy of recounting that experience earlier. Right. So she never kind of satisfied the director the way he wanted because she right. just couldn't shed that. Ooh. Right. Versus just straight acting right. in the moment and just right. being You're that man. scene. I believe, like Stella Adler and some other people, the imagination is a very, very powerful tool. You know, and if you learn to use it properly, it'll give you everything you need. Mm. You don't have nice. to relive some traumatic event. And I don't want to do that. Right. No, no. Well, I heard that I heard um, what was it an interview that Sein Jerry Seinfeld had with um, Jim Carrey, and he was talking about that time when he did that biopic of Andy Kaufman, and right. how uh, Jim <sighs> Carrey said, "I lost myself. I was actually Andy Kaufman," and he's mm -hmm. like, "And I couldn't like get out of the role because he had dove so deep into it. He really believed that like he was channeling Andy Kaufman from like the other side." He said it, it weirded out people. He said, in my best, and he said, I went out to dinner with a friend of mine, Nicolas Cage, and Nicolas Cage was like, dude, you're weirding me out. And he goes, you know how messed up you have to be to weird out Nicolas Cage? <laughs> Very much so. Very much so. So it sounds like you've got a huge, huge, huge yeah. road of possibilities coming up here for you. Um, for anyone who's interested in hiring our friend for professional work, of course, we will have links to... Um, You'll send us links you want us to use, but I know you have your website, right. um, your official website. I know there's you can find him on IMDb, of course. Um, I did find your resume. I don't know if that's your official resume. It has your 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 company that uh, represents you at the top and all your movies on it and your picture. Oh, yeah. video. So I found that online too. So there are resources. You will provide us all those so people can uh, hire you directly and, uh, you know, say the turn turner has sent you and you'll get instant success, guaranteed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe you do like uh, what Tyler Perry did and just like shoot all the episodes and sell it as a whole, right? Yeah, like yeah, I mean, <laughs> Tyler Perry, I mean, no, he's a boss. The uh, studio he just built in Atlanta is bigger than any movie studio campus. It's bigger I've than Sony, it. bigger than Warner Brothers. Um, they shot Black Panther there. Disney paid Tyler Perry to shoot scenes from Black Panther there. Yeah. That's huge. yeah. Good for him. Good for him. Hopefully. and of course <laughs> yeah. well of course follow the two nerds um you want to follow us because we're now that we know a celebrity we also can now call ourselves minor celebrities I'm not a celebrity. You got these. <laughs> hey you've been in more films than we have that we're willing to talk <laughs> okay. about anyway, uh, <laughs> 
Uh, but you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, YouTube, and of course, wherever you get your favorite podcast, which is always us. Make sure you follow us. And of course, we'll put links in for our fabulous guest, Rashawn here, um, and all of his resumes and his film clips so you can see him in action. Um, that will be fantastic. Ernie, because today is just all about the movies and it's all about acting. Could you put some feeling into it for once in your life and really do the scene like you meant to? Get me a skull, yeah, get him a skull. And give us a closing that's worthy of the last scene of the movie. Freeze frame it. Peace out. (laughs) There you go. Peace out, everybody. We will see you next time. (laughs) And that's another episode of Two Nerds and a Joke. Follow Robert and Ernie on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe to their YouTube channel.